This is awesome. Marty Friedman on the Rock of Nations show. What's up, everybody? This is Marty Friedman, and you are talking rock with Dave and Shane. Yeah, man, we are just uh, so thrilled to have you on the show all the way from Japan, I believe. Is that right? Are you in the Tokyo area? Right. Tokyo, Japan. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, talking about Fusion Syndicate, Beautiful Horizon out November 3rd, a follow up to 2012's uh, Speedway on Saturn's Rings. And uh, how do you feel this this record coming out, um, this uh, kind of jazz ensemble? How cool is this uh, to have yet another Fusion Syndicate release after all this time? I'm just honored to be asked to do it in the first place, really. <laughs> um yeah. That's basically it. You know, I get a, a call to play with some really super, super players and uh, and I just jump in and, and it's just an honor to be asked. So if I can do something and then they want to do it again, that must mean that the first <laughs> time didn't suck too terribly. And um, it's just a pleasure. It really is. What inspires you uh, these days? Because I, I mean, you're uh, somebody said you're like the Steve Vai of Japan, which I, I, I it makes sense. You know, you're, you're so you find so many ways to to be creative out there. Um, you know, what inspire what, what keeps your inspiration going? Is it curiosity of the instrument? Is it just pushing your boundaries? How does that work? Yeah, I don't really care about the instrument that much, to be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm not really uh, an instrument guy, and it's kind of like a tool. It's like a fork and a knife, or a chopsticks, or um, it's just a a means to the end, and the end being the music, which I really, really am pretty much obsessed with listening to music and creating music, and always a fan first. And um, I try to, you know, carve out the type of exact music that. Um, you know uh expresses what i'd like to express in music so that's like an endless bottomless journey for me and um it's it's the music yeah i just i just find as long as there's new things that i'm trying always hearing that i want to do that i'll keep making music but uh you know i've never really come to like you know the situation where like you have a writer's block or anything like that it's yeah. just always just like vomiting out of me for whatever reason <laughs> nice uh, no i think that's cool how it's like a living sort of breathing thing almost sounds like yeah i mean it, it really is just a very natural thing i've been doing since my middle teens so it's just kind of kind of a normal thing to always try to do something i've never done before with music you know i never wanted to be one of those guys that um Unfortunately, I've had to say so many times about my own heroes. I'd be like, well, I loved their first couple albums, but then they kind of went into a direction I didn't like or they didn't reach their potential, but their early stuff was great. You know, I never yeah. really wanted anyone to say that about me. So I'm always so conscious of of that. And and at least to my approval, I've uh, I've done okay in that regard. But I just am very conscious about not having that said about me when you you know 
I mean, we know you from metal, of course, the metal thrash metal world, but your music has so many more layers than that. Um, does metal sometimes feel limiting in terms of how you can express yourself uh, creatively? Well, I mean, uh, if you put it in a strict traditional genre like that, it could be, but um, I don't really look at it that way. I look at it more of like metal is like a sonic thing. It's like metal has to have this distorted wall of guitars, mm -hmm. which I just love that sonic palette, so to speak. So um, you can do things that don't fit in within the traditional genre of metal, but still have that sound. Mm. And I find that in Japan, there's a lot more uh, appreciation for putting that heavy sound in other contexts. In America, you know, that heavy sound is pretty much delegated only to metal music. It's not going to find its way into hip hop or pop or, or you know, dance music or R&B. It just, just doesn't go in there. But in Japan, I find that it's easier to inject that sound into other genres. So I think mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons I feel natural here. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, uh, it's been about 20 years, I think. Uh, was it about 2003 you moved out to Japan or maybe something like that? Um, talk about yeah. just, if you don't mind, like just being fully immersed in, in the environment there, Um you know what what you what you listen to out there now in japan i mean you've become such an icon out there too like what was it that first drew you in first drew me in was like the melody sense is just different from what you and i grew you i assume you grew up in america yeah yep michigan yep detroit but like what we grew up with melodically even subconsciously without thinking about it we kind of all grew up with the same music in in the background of our lives you know whether we liked it or didn't like it regardless you know, it was on tv was on the radio and in japan they grew up with a completely different set of melodic motifs so to speak and for whatever reason when i started coming to japan a lot for touring i uh really liked what i heard in in the background of everyday life here and started to study it and get into it and realize that I was really a big fan of the Japanese music scene so I wanted to be a part of that mm. um, kind of the melodic motifs are just different from what we grew up with yeah um, they're kind of maybe a little bit sadder in nature kind of uh, wistful and in and, and some, some people might think kind of a almost cheesy because they're not afraid to do like embarrassingly embarrassingly happy melodies or embarrassingly sad melodies mm. um i think in in american music there's just always this underlying trying to be cool everything has to be cool it can't be too can't be childlike it can't be uh um too like dark and just um what's the word in english i keep losing my english every day um <laughs> yeah um that's what you're a, fluent in japan right or japanese i, sh I should say you're yeah, fluent. I, yeah you know i speak only japanese over here so it's really weird to switch to english when i do oh, these wow. <laughs> when i do english press and stuff and there's one word i want to say hmm. um 
clashing notes, notes that might clash in American music. Um, it's kind of like you might get a pass in Japanese music because there's a lot, there's a lot of um, very strange intervals between notes that don't happen in, in American music, just from years of traditional ch Japanese music, which is different from what we grew up with. And it still really turns me on. So, uh, um, you know, that's what I've kind of gotten deeper and deeper and it kind of shows up in my music too. Yeah. You've done a lot, a lot of, um, collaboration with, um, you know, major, um, artists over there, a lot of television as well. Um, how do you find, how have you found that embracing, you know, television, music, media, kind of all media over there? And I mean, has it been, I know you talked kind of more about the accepting angle of it, right? More diversity, but, uh, how's, how's that been embracing TV and performance on air, things like that? Um, well, doing TV, like was, it was, um, a wonderful thing, uh, kind of a double-edged sword because it got to the point where I was doing so much more TV stuff than music. Um, even now, um, I've been concentrating much more on my music over the last two, three years, mm -hmm. um, especially since the beginning of pandemic, which is good because it's what I really wanted to do. But doing so much TV has just helped me grow as an individual and have something more on the ball than just being you know good at music you know if you if you have a, a life outside of music there's more experiences to draw on when you make your music you know what i mean sure yeah. up until then it was i was just like recording touring recording touring so I, real good at that natural at that but like what life experiences do you have to draw on you know what i mean so doing yeah. television i work with so many people that i would have never ever met and did so much prep for things that I would never, ever cared about. One thing I know about television is um, the majority of the time is spent studying up on things that you don't care about and then acting really enthusiastic about them. Hmm. And basically, that's what people on TV are doing. You know, they're just <laughs> yeah. they're very, very good at it. You know, you know, you look at a cooking show or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, who knows if the host even cares about what they're cooking. But when you watch that that host, they're just all about whatever it is they're cooking. They're into it. And that's like a professional's, it's art. It really is. And I've never really had to do that outside of music. So doing that for several years um, really developed, you know, just to develop my character a little bit. And um, and it really helped, uh, helped me grow as a person i always th thought the more of a life that you have outside of music the the better you can the more colorful and your music will eventually be is what i've found and, and i have to uh thank those experiences for that you, you mentioned the pandemic um were you over i assume you were in japan uh, when when all that was um was taking place uh what was yeah. life like there for you and and how did you embrace that time to to be uh, you know to, to create actually i got so lucky because um i had just started recording my album tokyo jukebox three mm. and um it was really perfect because uh, um you don't have to you're not touring so tours didn't get canceled i had so many friends you know I had tours booked and got canceled and 
uh, I don't think people out there listening really understand the financial and personal burden that goes into canceling a tour. There's people, lives depend on it, people's families, their salaries, reputations, further bookings. Just it's the biggest nightmare. So I was just so lucky not to be involved with the tour at that particular point. And I just started making my record, which means I like got all this free time to record now. The touring world is shut down. TV had completely shut down here in Japan. They were just showing <laughs> reruns of everything. Wow. And everybody's watching YouTube anyway. So like I was like, it was the perfect bubble for me to get really concentrated on recording my album. And we were not supposed to go to the studio because of COVID, but I'm like, mm. fuck it. Um, <laughs> it's just me, an engineer, a tech, and an assistant. So it wasn't like we we're in this big crowded airplane or anything. We we're in a we were in the studio. No one was there bothering us. And um, another great thing that worked out for me in the pandemic is a lot of the people I like to work with. They're like first call musicians. So you can't call these guys up and say, hey, can you play this track on Saturday? This is like, no, you got to wait two months before they have a little time for you. Mm. But I was just making all these calls and like everybody's got all the time in the world. Yeah. So I just had like a team on every song. Um, last minute, great guys coming. Dude, can you like play this drum part for me or all the best guys had all the time in the world for me. So it was really, it lucked out. I got, I was in the lucky side of that. And, and uh, I think it became one of my best records because I just had such concentration and great resources and, and time, you know, usually studio time is like, you know, you book a little, a little bit here and there because there's so many other work that has to be done big blocks of time and it, it, i loved it I, i'm so happy with the way the record came out because of all of the you know it's uh, yeah i don't know what the thing is in english but with every bad thing there's a there's a upside to oh, it and like a um, silver, upside. silver line or a silver lining break it yeah i forget something there's so many idioms here are there that many idioms in, yeah. in uh, japanese <laughs> sometimes i forget the ones in english. so many of them in <laughs> There's millions of Japanese ones. Oh, yeah. They go back thousands yeah. of years. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they got one for every situation, but I lucked out big time. Yeah, absolutely. When you're the guy, you know, I mean, you're doing your own thing. I mean, versus being in a band like you, you know, what's that freedom like? You know, when you, you call someone and say, hey, can you do this drum part for me or do this bass part? Um are you very particular, I imagine, in what you're you're looking for? Or do you kind of, I mean, you you I imagine you're picking people based on you know what they do, you know what they sound, you say, well, this sounds like something for this person. Is that kind of how it works? I mean, how do you embrace that creativity when you're the exactly. person calling the shots? Yeah. That's exactly how it works. And people hmm. rarely understand this. Um, just because a guy is a fantastic player and a jack of all trades and can just play anything, that in no way means that guy's the right guy for this particular part that I'm working on. Every single part requires a specialist who's good at that part. Um, I have like, I work with like maybe four or five keyboard players and they are all absolutely top class. Um, but 
their strengths are completely different. So if I have a part written out, I know exactly who would be the one mm. who's going to nail exactly the part the way I want it. Um, one of the guys that I play with, he's like a full on world-class concert pianist, mm. but some of the really simple parts that I have written, he can't play them even with all my direction. It just sounds wrong. And then I have some other keyboard players who are more in the pop world of playing. They don't have like the Rachmaninoff techniques or anything like that, but they just play the parts absolutely perfect. And, and so they get the call for those parts. And so it's totally cherry picking. It's, it's really cherry picking. And I, I I've gotten very much into that over my career. When I was a kid, I used to think, oh, this guy's the best keyboard player in town or whatever instrument, bass, um, and just call this one guy and have him try to play everything. And you're like compromising 90% of the time because people are really only great at their specialty. And, um, you know, how many salsas did Beethoven write? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. No, it's, it's just because someone is a genius and a prodigy or whatever absolutely doesn't mean that they're right for that part so uh i've been getting a lot better at cherry picking people over the years mm. yeah my uh producer who um unfortunately couldn't be here today but he he uh went to japan a few years ago and i remember him telling me just how overwhelming in a positive way how overwhelmed he was by the musicology you know and how that connects with the culture i mean a culture that 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 is so you know, ancient and and timely and, and timeless in so many ways. Did that kind of hit you the same way when you first uh, started seeing what was happening over there and and what it was all about? It's a culture shock, and um, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience for someone who's never been to Japan, like a tourist. Um, it's just you're just walking around staring up. You can always tell the foreigners here because they're always looking up. You know, there's so many things upwards. Mm. Things are built up rather than spread out how we grew up because mm. of space limitations. So, like, there's things in the sky. There's signs in the sky. There's things you can't read. So, like, as your first trip over there, you think it's like another planet. And it's really uh, quite engaging and it leaves something with you you know what i mean and and that sticks with certain people they really want to come back and certainly stuck with me but um musically i mean there's like i said before there's a lot of different motifs mm -hmm. and it all comes from the history of japan uh japanese traditional music and um in the you know when music started to get modern in the 40s 50s through now you get strange interpretations of foreign music that Japanese influence Japanese music was influenced by. Mm. Like, for example, they were there was a period where they really loved French pop and they copied a lot of French music and they copied a lot of Latin motifs and they always put a Japanese spin on it. So it sounds kind of funny to the foreign ear. It sounds well, it sounds kind of Latin, but not really. But to them, it just sounds very, very, very Latin. They don't know that they're putting this big Japanese stamp on everything. They just see the thing that they're copying. 
and it's really quite a strange musical culture. Um, and if you happen to like it, it's like you, you never get tired of it because it's always entertaining. But I could see that some people might think this is just too weird. I can't I can't hang with it. But if you happen to like it, it's just uh, it's an endless well of insanity. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's um, being there for so long? What's been your perspective on the rock scene in the States here? Um, you know, I mean, do they I, I, I always think back to like, you know, of course, the classic, you know, Live in Budokan. Um, you know, uh, why am I blanking? Um, not the blanking. Um, Dream Police. Why? Why can't I think of their name? It was right there. Uh, cheap Trick, um, right? Cheap Trick. Yeah, cheap yeah, yeah. Trick, that's cheap. it. Yeah, yeah. It's late here. So it's been a long day. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Cheap Trick, and you know, so many like in the seventies. I know, you know, Japan embraced, loved American rock. I mean, they just went nuts for it. Is it still kind of like that there, or you know, they've got their own thing going too to, that they're obviously proud of, and should we? Well, their own thing is like uh, about 80% of what goes on here. It's domestic okay. Japanese music. Yeah. And the remaining 20% is international acts. Like back then it was Cheap Trick and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Kiss and the Scorpions. And now whoever is the top of the charts in America um, is also in that 20%. But the vast majority of music that happens in Japan is domestic Japanese music. And it's very strange how those two styles coexist because they rarely blend. Yeah. Fans of domestic domestic rock music may never even have heard of Metallica. Mm. And, uh, and the fan the 20% of the fans of music of international music in Japan, um, they might not know anything that's on the top of the charts here in Japan. Mm. It's a very different different worlds mm. like country and r&b type of thing in america okay. there's not a whole lot of people who follow both right which is strange because there's a, you know there'd be a lot to gain from following both but it's just kind of a cultural thing you know they follow you like international artists well i like domestic artists kind of thing it's very mm. interesting um you mentioned kiss i, I read that that Kiss was a big influence on you growing up. Was that was that true? Can you kind of talk about just uh, you know how awesome? I, I, it's one of my favorite bands. I saw their final show here in Detroit. Uh, they say final. I think it is really this time around. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I saw them October twentieth. With that the, the the recent one, the recent one. Yeah, yeah, I saw the recent one. Yeah, um, it just Gina, Pye, oh, Eric, and Tommy. It was awesome. It was really great. I mean, um, you know you. I, you get, you know, those guys, I mean, and they'll say it, you know, they're getting up there in age. So, you know, it's, it's harder to do that, especially wear all the gear and everything, but it was, it was an, I mean, I've seen them five times. I'd say it was the best show I've seen because it, just the lights and everything else. And the, the, the playing was great. Um, it was, it was cool. It was electrifying. It was very cool. And I saw Ace solo about nine years ago too. So he's still putting out some great solo stuff too. So you saw them in Detroit. Yeah, in Detroit. Yeah. Yep. Um, their final uh this is the last leg of the end of the road tour. And it was it was emotional, man. I mean, it was like, you know, every you could tell Paul was really feeling it, you know, just like I mean, they've got they're done, I think, on December third. They have two shows in New York and that's it. They say that's it, at least for KISS traditional touring, you know. Um, but man, I I'm still on a high, and that was a month ago from it. Dude, did Kiss last show in Detroit? That's a monumental gig that you saw, man. I'm so jealous. 
it was it was wild wow. man it was wild that's emotional <laughs> right there I it mean, was Detroit, yeah guys. yeah yeah wow how cool is that yeah i'm a big kiss nerd and um <laughs> The only kiss nerd who beats me in kiss nerd dumb is um John Five. I was gonna say <laughs> who's from here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's the best kiss nerd out there. Um, <laughs> there's no one even who comes close to his collection. And uh, I, I watch his kiss collection on Instagram, and it's like, dude, this is the deepest one ever. It's um, intense. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, kiss started a lot of us off. You know what I mean? Just like a how can you not get excited if you catch kiss at the right age um it's really one of those things you know and a lot of guys that i know have similar experiences i just something a great a great uh great band that will be sorely missed but i have a yeah. funny feeling that they're not gonna leave so quietly yeah yeah, they did. I was, I was, I was jealous because they had. A, I guess the stage wasn't quite ready for uh, the sound check, so they played at the arena where the hockey team and, and um, basketball team play here, and they just put a little area together, got and they did their sound check kind of early, and fans started catching wind and lining up to see it, and I was like, I, I, I got to the show right before it started, so I'm like, oh my god, that happened! <laughs> I mean, how cool, you know? And they did like, I think Plaster Caster and She and just you know really deep stuff that's not in the set. So going deep like that is, uh, it's just awesome. It's just like so cool. Oh. Jealous. But, yeah, I just, but yeah, I don't, I don't want it to be the end, but <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, you know, we can always fingers crossed, you know. But and I know I remember you were saying. I I think I read that you know you weren't for you it was about being musical, but not not like so much a rock star, right? Like the cliche of the whole rock star. It was like, is that right? Did I hear that right? I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think when you're a kid, you you want to live your life like your fantasy idols. Yeah. Um, but then once you're actually doing it for real, uh, you realize that all of that uh, drug stuff and and all of the wild stuff, you can only do so much of that without uh, cutting your career short. Yeah. So, um, you know you'd be surprised how uh, uh how work ethic has contributed to not only mine but anyone who's like kind of a lifer in music you're not going to see these massive drug fiends you know big drinkers you know staying in the music business and continuously creating new good content for that long so i think that once I got out of that kind of the rock star experiences out of my system, like when I was a teenager, I, I must have lived like three people's lives by the time <laughs> I was 18. Oh, man. Um, and I got down to the process of really just making music and living for the music and, and uh, you know, being very moderate on all of the other vices of rock, which definitely haven't disappeared. Right, but right. Um, you remember that you have a show the next day or you're making a record and you have to show up on time. So things like that, you know, I've been quite really the responsible one for for quite some time. But, mm. uh, you know, um, as a kid, you just want to be party 24 hours. Let's go. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. It's a rite of passage, right? <laughs> fast. Drive the car fast. Play some loud rock and roll, man. 
you know it's all about man so right now yeah. we're on the making side of it so everyone else right. can party 24 right, right. hours <laughs> that's right you're you're sacrificing so that we can we can enjoy <laughs> sacrifice um, that's what yeah. it is brother yeah um i saw you guys uh i think it was back in april this year you played with queensrike and um oh. uh, it was yeah that was a very cool show at uh, st andrews um what was oh. it like uh playing the states uh I mean, yeah you guys were awesome yeah, I had a wild drum. Your drummer was like insane. <laughs> it's a really, really cool band. Oh. How did you put that band? Talk about the band you put together and and what was it like, you know, playing the States again? Yeah, I love playing the States. It was a fantastic tour. My band, um, you know, I've been touring with my solo music since like 2007, really. And before that, even I was doing some stuff even before that, like in a little runs here and there, but really touring started for me in around 2007 and my band has evolved and become kind of a family you know there's a lot of people who have been in my band and they're always welcome in my band um the band that you saw in april is my core band um but i'm also extremely supportive of any other projects that they do mm. and there's like a time conflict there are other people who are equally as fantastic who have been in my band at different periods of my career that they can take their place for a show or for a tour or whatever. Um, but what you saw was the core band and uh, uh, just absolutely phenomenal players. They outshine me every single night. And like you said, the drummer, he's just like, he's unbelievable um, amount of energy it's like when I'm playing, there's like this tailwind behind me makes it absolutely effortless for yeah. me to play the guitar. Um, you know, usually there's there's a lot of challenging guitar parts and bass parts and stuff. But when you have that tailwind behind you, that energy, it, it it's all the less energy it requires for me to actually do the playing. And it's just you just fly through this stuff. And um my whole band is like that. If you watch them, maybe you came because you've heard of me, but when you leave, you're yeah. talking about the band members. Yeah. That yeah. bass player was amazing. My other guitar player plays circles around me and um, just really something else. So um, we're going to do more touring. We're going to, um, I'll be announcing some stuff pretty soon for awesome. 2024. But, uh, it's going to be my core band again. So uh can't wait for everybody and i can't wait to get to the detroit area oh, as well always yeah. a fantastic area well that's even more better news because we got i mean 2024 is already shaping up to be a really awesome year for rock i mean bruce dickinson's got a record coming out ace fraley's got uh 10,000 volts his latest solo album that's going to be coming out i think he's dropping a single soon judas priest um, you know, you're going to be touring. So, I mean, 2024 is already looking like one of the best years in just rock and guitar-based rock and roll. So we, we can't wait, man. It's going to be awesome. I love it. I mean, that's a great thing. I mean, the thing about what I do and what some of the people you mentioned also do is like um, live is where it's happening. You know, if you look in the top 10 on the charts, there's not a whole lot of guitar being played. <laughs> um, yeah. There's not a whole lot of guitar being featured. But if you look at the touring, uh, you know, look at the world of touring, there's big rock tours happening all the time and tours of all levels, you know, all size venues. 
and it's now is you know people go out to see rock music rather than the people actually purchasing the millions of streams or however many that it takes to get into the the top of the charts so you yeah. know guitar hard the sound of loud guitars is it's always going to be cathartic for people and um there's such a great um variety of kinds of music that features the guitar you know i don't think my music sounds like anyone else and the people you just listed have their own sounds but we all are way more guitar oriented than what's on the charts yeah so you know we survive out there you know in the wild where people going out to see you um so that's what we do and and even though it doesn't it's not represented on the billboard charts you know it's definitely very very much alive you talked about social media or, you know, kind of or streams rather. What do you make of like, you know, streams these days and all of that versus kind of the old days of the business? Um, you know, is it, has it been, is it sometimes frustrating to get your music out there? Cause some artists have said, you know, they, they had to rely on social media, this and that, cause at least here in the States, there isn't much of an industry anymore for music. Oh, well, you know, it's, it, it just all evolves. You can't expect the music industry to stay the same as it was X number of years ago. So you've just got to find your ways to make money more creatively. And um, it's just become a given that you do things that you wouldn't necessarily want have wanted to charge for years ago. Like the fact that we do meet and greets and stuff. Um, I absolutely hate the fact that we have to charge for that because I, I can't stand that, but it is so necessary for things like touring because the touring costs require those kind of things. You know, you got to do meet and greets, you got to do VIPs, you got to do the sound checks, you got to like have special merch and all of those things. They're kind of a must now. So people have accepted it. It still hurts though, because I just want to meet anybody, everybody anyway. Yeah. You know, I, and I want to meet everybody every way, but you know, the business is what it is. And um, I, I know the fans understand that. And I appreciate that. Um, awesome. But, you know, just evolve. And as long as you're making the best music you can, <clears throat> that's all that matters. Yeah. Marty Friedman, thank you so much. Fusion Syndicate, Beautiful Horizon coming out November 3rd. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Live from Japan. Very cool. Thanks, Dave. Great talking to you. Yeah!